What is up? I am so excited for today's podcast. As I have mentioned online, this girl is my friggin' queen, and she is the reason that I have done and do all the things that I do. She has been the catalyst in my life for just spreading love and kindness and being a good person. So today we are going to chat with Megan Martin. She's super cool, and we are just going to dive right into it because why waste any more time? Please listen carefully. Alrighty, welcome, Megan. Yay, so excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. This has been a podcast I've been super looking forward to. Megan has uh, inspired pretty much everything that I do. (laughs) So this is super cool. So we can finally sit down and chat. Um, But I just want to start with, what were you like growing up mm. before everything you've done? I want to go back to the basics of where it kind of all began. When I think about it, you think back on memories and a lot of them were actually just formulated because of pictures that you looked at mm-hmm. or like the people that told you these stories. Cause like I'm a psych major okay. and like I learned a lot of how we reconstruct our memories based off of like things that we view like pictures and okay. people's stories. So sometimes you don't really know like what you were like, but innately like, I feel like I'm still very similar to what I was like. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I had, like, I wanted to be a teacher, a veterinarian. I wanted to be all those, like, kid jobs, right? Every child wants to be this kind of thing. But I was a very sensitive, very sensitive kid, and I still am. And they're they're probably at some point, like, if I'm talking about something and I tear up or I cry, like, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> Just <laughs> like, a fair warning. And I tell people that now because I'm okay with it. I'll be like, yeah, I'll probably cry talking about this, and it's cool. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like that before. Like, when I was younger... I was so sensitive. My parents were like, she is just the most sensitive person. I used to cry over everything. (laughs) But I was like, being sensitive, you're an empath. Like, growing up like that, you're just, I was kind. I loved animals. I loved being outside. And I was um, very sensitive to, like, my family. And I loved being with my family. Example of one thing, how I was so sensitive. So I remember in grade two, I used to go to Stella Mares um, Catholic School in uh, Amherstburg, and then I switched over to another school. But I remember <laughs> in grade one, everybody had these like duotangs, and they had like, you either had the ones that they close with two or one, right? So everyone in my class had two. So they would open it to, like, they'd open the tab to close their duotang. And I didn't have that. And I was like, so upset because it wasn't going. And I cried because I was so upset that I didn't have the two um, flippy thing, metal thing. And mine was only one, which it makes so much more sense just to have one. You don't need two. <laughs> but I cried over that. And it's just like a perfect example of the things I would cry about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I struggled a lot in school with that because I was emotional over like math or science or things that troubled me. I, my natural reaction was to cry. For a while, I thought it was like a curse. And then now I see it as such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mind crying now because I see it as a strength. But before it was like, It was so bad because I was also just taught, I think, through society and school Mm -hmm. and everything that you're not supposed to cry. Yep. Um, My parents were definitely very supportive of it and, like, even had a guidance counselor in high school call my mom and was like, I think Megan might need to, like, go to therapy or see someone. My mom literally probably, like, laughed at her and was like, no, she's she's been like this her entire life. She's just super sensitive. (laughs) So, like, yeah, I guess as a kid, like, I feel like I'm still – very similar to when I was like a kid I I, like I said I loved being outside I loved animals and it just kind of progressed now into my 20s I feel like a kid now (laughs) yeah did you were you as sensitive to like were you aware being younger of eating 
um, animal products? No, that okay. never crossed my mind okay. ever. It just wasn't something I didn't really – I wasn't around those animals. It was just mostly like wildlife right. or cats okay. and dogs. Right. So I grew up with them. And then I come from um, a Hungarian family. So like we have like goulashes and lechos and sausages and stews. So there's a lot of meat-based right. stuff in it. And then – just growing up, you eat what your parents give yep. you. Um, but I definitely loved vegetables, so maybe that was a sign. I loved being <laughs> in the garden, and I loved spending time, like, outside. So I think there was, like, some sort of awareness there, but right. it didn't really hit – I didn't hit a connection till later on. Where were you <clears throat> – at what point did you hit that connection? Like, what was that – Okay. Do you have that like big experience? Oh, it was a big experience. So yeah, I'm I'm vegan. I'm plant based, um, and I love animals so much. And I started following Esther the Wonder Pig oh on Facebook. Oh my gosh, my mom follows that account. <laughs> so this was probably like four or five years ago that I came across her on Facebook, and I I honestly don't know how. But Esther the Wonder Pig has over a million followers on Facebook. Her dads are Steve and Derek. They're pretty great people, and they're from. Um, they live in Campbellville now at a rescue animal sanctuary called Happily Ever Esther. So before the rescue, though, they lived in Mississauga and they had a 600-pound pig in their house because initially they were given to her as a micro pig and there really is no such thing as a micro pig. Um, so they maybe she was a pot belly, but she ended up being a commercial-sized pig and they fell in love with her. Esther has such a personality. She's, like, so funny and she lived in their house. But she got too big to live in Mississauga, and they were too worried about their neighbors and everything. So they ended up starting a sanctuary in Campbellville. So I don't know how I started following her, um, but I loved, like, I would wake up in the morning and go on my phone and, like, look at what Esther's up to. Like, they would, like, document her stories. People would send her, like, shirts and, like, things that they would make for her. So I was like, this is really cool. But I never, like, understood what they were doing or whatever. So then it was probably... A year after I started following her, I was, like, going to eat ham. And I looked at the ham, and I was like, this is Esther. I put it back, and then I stopped eating that. But it wasn't eight until eight months later that I watched a documentary called Earthlings that I literally just went vegan overnight. Um, it's definitely one of the – I only watched 20 minutes of it, but it was traumatizing. <laughs> and I just stopped eating animal products. A couple years prior to that, though, I had given up eating dairy because of my skin. Okay. So that's something we will talk about. Okay. Um, but I had really bad acne. And I learned that dairy causes inflammation in your body, which progresses into, like, causing inflammation in your skin for acne. Okay. And I had – I was a big, like, cheese milk drinker. Like, I loved it, but I didn't realize that it would make my skin worse. So as soon as I found that out, I was like, well, it's either drink milk or have acne. And the acne was really hurting me at the time, so I gave that up. It helped a little bit, yeah. um, but obviously it progressed in different ways. But, yeah, that was, like – I slowly made this connection into being full plant-based. Right. And I'm very happy that I made the decision that was three and a half years ago. And I love being vegan. Like, I love being plant-based. And people always, like, the hardest thing about it was other people's opinions, to be honest. And that everything has eggs and milk in it. And sometimes it's hard to avoid, but... Other people were like automatically, where do you get your protein? Right. Or the they questions. suddenly cared about what I was eating mm-hmm. because I couldn't eat the food that they made. Yeah. Or they were just offended all of a sudden. Well, and coming from a Hungarian family, mm-hmm. what was that transition like? So surprisingly, like my parents were very supportive of me. My dad, always supportive. My mom was also supportive, but she was like, oh, I could never do that. Okay. So she was kind of like, now what am I going to make you? I have to make something extra. But my dad's side of the family, like my grandma and grandpa, they were also supportive. They just kind of didn't understand why I was doing that. Mm -hmm. But now, like my grandma makes sure when we make goulash, which is a Hungarian stew on the fire, she will make it and then take some out for me before they put the meat in. Mm -hmm. And like my papa was always like, 
when I was little, I was really thin and really small. And he'd be like, Elaine, that's my mom's name. Why don't you feed her more? And my mom's like, Papa, like she eats more than her dad. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. eats a lot of food. And he's always like, eat, eat, eat. And then um, so he was more concerned about that, but mm-hmm. just didn't get the idea of it. Right. But he's also really health conscious, too. So they know that like. They don't really eat a lot of animal products anyway. My grandma, okay. su- surprisingly, that's just the way that it happens. Yeah. Um, and she makes a lot of her own food um, because it's, like, old school, like, European, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but overall, like, it was it was harder because, like, my grandma loved making cherry cheesecake. And that mm-hmm. was always, like, our, right. Christm- our um, Christmas or our birthday c- our cakes. Yeah. So I couldn't have it now. And it was just, like, sorry, grandma. Yeah. Um, but then she started making me my other own things. So. Right, right. Yeah. And making alternative yeah. stuff. <clears throat> Did you find it? And I... And I haven't watched Earthlings. Mm-hmm. I watched, I did mention this in the last podcast, um, that's going to air before this one, mm-hmm. I didn't watch Cowspiracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have always had an interest in, I have, tr- you know, classic, I've tried to go vegetarian, <laughs> I've tried to go vegan, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and after what, it was watching the documentary mm-hmm. and then. And as a skeptical person, because I come from a film background, yeah. watching documentaries, I always have this, like, I know how it works. I know how things can be oh, skewed yeah. or, or turned or whatever. So I have that natural. But <clears throat> the next week, I, without even consciously being like, I'm not going to eat that, I just was realizing that I wasn't, I was just like, no, I don't want that. It uh. wasn't even like I, the people say like, oh, I don't even miss it. And I'm like, how can you not miss it? <laughs> and I finally understood that. I was like, yeah. I, I just don't care yeah. anymore. And not that I have tra- mm-hmm. made that transition yet, but it has really made me think twice about what is on my plate. I think now it makes it – it's even easier now, especially like in Windsor of all places with all of the like great businesses that have been opening up that have vegan options. Yeah, Once even you more just, now. I've just had oh, to open up this week. All of these things yes. just keep popping up and I'm like the greatest thing is if, if you – for anyone out there that wants to open up a business, the vegan community in Windsor is extremely supportive and they will spend all of their money on the things that you make. <laughs> so just a little piece of advice because yeah. the new sushi place, um, yes. a new uh, small pop-up sushi, avocado sushi roll, no, avocado, avocado pit, pit sushi, sushi. Yeah. Um, just opened as a pop-up and they sold out and half an hour at Bullseye Pizza. Like, half an hour. I didn't even get to go there. I wouldn't have made you it didn't even there. No, I was so upset. Um, but for me, so I thought eggs was going to be the hardest thing for me yeah. and cheese. And honestly, as soon as I just stopped eating it, I didn't crave it. Right. And, it gets yeah, you don't really need it. And, like, even now, like, uh, there's, like, vegan cheeses. and like, But there's so many alternatives. Like, mm-hmm. the food that you can, you can have, you don't really feel like you're missing anything. Like, mm-hmm. when people say, oh, you can't eat this. I'm like... Well, one, when I put that word in front of it, it makes it feel harder. And a can't is like a very negative connotation with something. So when I say I can't eat cheese, it means I'm restricting myself from it. But when I say I choose not to eat cheese, it's a lot more empowering. Mm. So if you say you can't do this, you can't do this, you're not going to stick to it. So if you're like, oh, I can't eat cheese, eventually you're going to be like, well, no, I, I can eat it. So you will. Right. But if you're like, no, I choose not to eat it, just mm-hmm. like you might not choose to be friends with someone that might be harmful to your health or mm-hmm. your mental health, instead of saying I can't be friends with them, that's just like a, a side example. But I think it's like all about making the choice con- consciously. Right. Um, and yeah, like once you just stop eating some of that stuff, you won't crave it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely gets, in some points, it's hard when you're around it, especially in the new, like your beginning phases of being plant-based. Like mm-hmm. if you're smelling like, I don't know, fried chicken. Now it kind of makes me sick to smell. Um, But initially, like, I would even smell, like, ribs or something and be like, oh, that smells good. And some people would never admit to that. But, um, like, everyone 
probably gets that because yeah. 22 years of my life I was eating that foods right? right so that's also why like I'm non-judgmental entirely of people that mm-hmm. choose to do a certain like eat a certain way but I feel that everyone deserves to know where their food is coming from mm-hmm. and at least make a decision based off of that knowledge because a lot of times we don't know before I watched earthlings I had no idea some of the stuff that was happening because they're not showing that stuff right they don't want you to know that exactly and like I just think like if you choose not to know that's that's your decision but at the same time when you're not knowing what you're eating that has like for me the energy of that food and what you're eating has can have a negative effect on your body so if you're like empowered by what you're eating and you're okay with this then okay but you should know the backstory and then I also think everyone should just meet the animals themselves (laughs) because then once you do you were like oh like it's a whole different experience yeah tell me about like your do you remember like your first experience going to whether it was a farm sanctuary Mm -hmm. or that experience where you like connected. Yeah, so <laughs> Happily Ever Esther, which is where Esther the Wonder Pig lives, opened did you up. Go there? I did three Stop times. It. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. So um so I went when was my original? I went for a volunteer day with my mom. She we went up there. It was really fun. She was all excited to go. So that was the first time I visited the farm and so we volunteered there and it was like that was my first time I think ever on a sanctuary. So okay. like there, I've been so around there were more animals. Yeah. Okay. Like I was the I've been around horses and like I've seen other animals before, but all of a sudden when you're around like commercial sized pigs and sheep and cows cows are incredible we'll get into that um but it was like wow this is really cool like seeing how they were rescued and helping with them and then I went to their grand opening with my friend Logan who's also like I just kind of pulled her into being an Esther fan so we'll like literally talk about Esther or something and like she knows like we have like stories on Facebook that will pop up and it'll be a picture of us at the farm and she just dies because she I made her come with me yeah and we just had the best day it was like their grand opening we got to see Esther like I when I tell people that are like fans of hers I'm like I met Esther they're like (gasps) you met Esther and like I know like when celebrity exactly when people when people follow celebrities I'm like I, um, my celebrities are animals, like Esther the Wonder Pig from Happily Ever Esther, Cornelius the Turkey from there, and then, like, all the other animals at Sanctuaries mm-hmm. I follow. Like, those are my celebrities. Yeah. But it was, like, it was pretty eye-opening just to be there, and then it really, like, started my um, desire to open up a sanctuary one day or at least help with one. So yeah. it kind of stemmed from there. Oh, my gosh, I'll help you one day. Mm-hmm. Holler at me because I would love to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I've got big plans for yeah. that. So talk to me about – like meeting I haven't gone yet mm-hmm. to Charlotte's Freedom Farm mm-hmm. I've been trying to get there and I blame <laughs> yeah, myself you. I need to go mm-hmm. um talk to me about like what's it like to sit and lay down with a cow or sit with a pig or sit with a oh. turkey what is that like explain that experience mm-hmm. what, that, what does that feel like for you? okay so the first time I really had that experience was back in December of last year when I went to do an internship at Farm Sanctuary Oh, so yes. I remember following this yes. on Instagram and I was so, like, what? That this was girl a big walked thing. in the dark. <laughs> so, Please tell this story. Okay. Um, last, it was last October, I was accepted to do an internship at Farm Sanctuary and I literally cried getting that acceptance um, because it was a huge thing. So Farm Sanctuary is the OG of animal sanctuaries okay. in North America. Gene Bauer is the founder and he was like back in the 70s and 80s selling veggie tofu dogs at Grateful Dead concerts. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you have, if you want to know more about him, like he's pretty cool. Um, but I read his book called Farm Sanctuary about two years ago. Okay. Before going to the farm. So I was like, oh, I need to go here. So I ended up meeting a, a connection, a fr- friend who had a mutual connection um, at farm sanctuary and he's like you have to apply for the internship so I applied a year 
two years ago. I didn't get an email back. So I was like, okay, whatever. And I was like, no, I got to apply again. So I'm like, less people are going to apply in the wintertime because it's cold. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be the time most when they need the most volunteers. So I'm like, I'm going to reapply for the wintertime. And it's in upstate New York. I was going to ask, Watkins Glen. It's near Ithaca. Beautiful area. Um, It kicked my butt, but it was a great time to be outside. So I had a phone interview, which I like literally was, I'm showing Sierra like my (laughs) shakingness, but I was shaking so bad the whole interview. I got off the interview. I'm like, oh my God, what did, I thought I missed things. I yeah. got an email and I cried Aww. so hard because I got accepted. So it was December and January of last year. So it was a two-month internship. And I drove there. Uh, it was only about seven and a half hours the American way. So Did you drive by yourself? Yeah. Oh my God. I do a lot. I do a lot of traveling. But Independent so, woman. Yeah. <laughs> I drove up there and the moment I like pulled up, it's funny because, like, I'm like, I'm probably not going to get service. So I'm like, hey, Dad, hey, Ricky, I'm probably not going to have service when I get there, but I'm almost there because I always have to tell my dad when I get somewhere. Yep, yep. And I pull up to the farm, and I'm, like, overcome with emotions because I'm like, I read this in the book. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, looking, I see everything, and I was like, this is incredible. So I get to the farm. I get shown my house. I stayed in this house called Hilda House. Okay. It's our internship houses. And Hilda was the first animal that Jean Bauer rescued for Farm Sanctuary. Um, her name was Hilda, and she was a sheep. She was actually thrown in a down pile. So what a down pile is, is when animals are sick or they die, they get thrown in a pile of animals. And they could be half alive or alive, but if they're sick, they just get thrown there. And they so, just leave them there? Yeah. So Jean Bauer and a couple people went to this place called the Lancaster Stockyard, and they found her in a pile and they took her, which is technically illegal because animals are property. Um, somehow they got her out and they brought her to a vet, and the vets back then were like, why are we taking care of a sheep? Like, right. you know. Yeah, this, like what year would this be? In? Um, like, this Probably the 80s. Okay, so And yeah. I'm pretty sure. So anyway, Hilda was the first animal they rescued, and it was really cool and, like, honorable to stay in the house. So the internship was two months, and it was one of the most transformative experiences of my life because I was outside working on a farm. Like, it was hard work. We did two different shifts. It was um, cleaning shift or shelter project intern. Uh projects so if you're cleaning you're cleaning the barns (laughs) and I was there December and January so the first part of my internship it didn't snow then we got like pummeled with snow and it was one of the weekends it was like negative 20 degrees plus wind chill for three days in a row and ironically (laughs) I got the shift where I was all three outside cleaning shifts for three days of the cold weather so at any point you were like like what? Why did I do this? <laughs> Actually, or like not, at, not all? at all. That That's thought incredible. had never crossed my mind because I would like the work that I was doing had an immediate. And I tell these people at our um, volunteer days for Charlotte's that you have an immediate like appreciation of what you're doing because you're seeing the animals that you're helping. And you get to spend time with them after, right? Right. So yeah, some of the barns were brutal. Like it was so cold. Like my fingers were freezing. The shelter, the cleaning shifts were from seven till three. So they were like. You had to get up real early, get yeah. to the farm by 7. I just lived down the street, so I would drive up to the farm in the, in the morning. It was nice and cold. Get up there, do my job for the day, and then I would be done. Spend, spend time with the other interns or just literally just sleep. Um, yeah. The second one was called Shelter Project Intern. So you worked from 7 till 5, and you had to do lots of different tasks. So you would clean sheep bowls after they were e- done eating, clean pig bowls, which is really hard in the winter because like your hands are freezing you're outside yeah Yeah. oh yeah like you're putting water in them cleaning them up putting them back in so that they can have clean bowls um we take care of the chickens so they in the animal hospital they have um a bunch of cages where there's chickens in there and that's where I developed my like 
absolute love of chickens. I was actually afraid of chickens before. Really? Chickens and turkeys and any kind of birds kind of like freak me out a little bit because dogs and other animals and even pigs and cows, you understand their body language. Right. You kind of know what they're doing. Birds also have beaks. And you like when you're you're tensing up, like you don't know what it's going to feel like. You're like when you tense up more and they peck you, it hurts. But if you don't really care, it doesn't really hurt that much. It's just in your head. So, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with chickens. We would take them out, clean their cages, put them back in, feed them. And there was one, her name was Adelaide. She was this beautiful, like, gray speckled chicken. And she had a really big, um, I forget what they're called, but the red part on her head. And she just, like, she'd see you with treats and she'd look at you and she'd, like, be all funny. And chickens have such personality. You'd open it up and she'd, like attack the treats before she'd try to jump out of the cage she had such a personality it was like a little dog like it was so funny then there was another one called trudy and i have a picture like selfies with her like if you go through my phone (laughs) yes i go on instagram and look at megan's all of her photos you'll find these instagram my phone is full of like selfies with pigs um cows like everything so yeah the chickens though i was surprised mostly by my relationship i built with chickens because a lot of times people will say Like, oh, I just eat chicken, which is like, it's fine if you're trying to cut it out. But when you're saying I just eat chicken, you're kind of demeaning like that um, being by Mm -hmm. just saying just. It's like when you say I'm just a server or I'm just this, you're kind of demeaning the fact of what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And like chickens themselves are just like any other farm animal or any other animal. So Mm -hmm. there's actually this one. Her name's Jive Lady. Jive Lady. (laughs) They all have names. I don't know how the staff there like can tell the chickens apart. Most of them they can't, but there's certain ones that are very like unique and have like outward outgoing personalities right. like people do too. So there's one named Jive Lady and she's in this one chicken barn. You'd walk in, go into the left and you'd sit down and she'd come right up next to you. And then you'd kind of welcome her up and she'd jump in your lap. And then she would lift up her wings and you'd pet underneath her wings. And she would sit there like I never had enough time to actually sit with her. But like sometimes I would try to stay for about five minutes. She would sit there and just just sit there with you and just, just be you know, just like a cat, basically. <laughs> I'd be like, sorry, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually we would be picking up eggs. So one okay. of our tasks was actually to walk around the entire farm and pick up eggs. Okay. Because if you leave eggs, um, then the chickens will sit on them, incubate them, and then babies are born. And at sanctuaries, that's kind of the thing that you don't want to happen because you're trying to rescue animals from the outside, right. not uh, have them reproduce on the farm. Okay. Because when you have so many chickens, then it's just more and they repopulate. Right. Yeah, and so then you one can't of, save as many yeah. when you have so many. So one of our jobs is actually to go around and pick up all the eggs. So what do you do with the eggs? <clears throat> so we actually cook them. Okay. And you feed them back to the chickens. So it's really odd for a lot of people. Whoa, that, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so you can either give it to them raw but they cook them and mix it in with their food. The reason being is because chickens, the way that they've been manufactured, I guess, and like genetically modified now is they lay more eggs than they're actually naturally supposed to. Okay. So they lose a lot of nutrients through producing eggs okay. because of the shell and all the calcium and everything that they create the eggs with. Um, so when you feed the chicken the egg back, that isn't incubated, right? It's just an egg that we would be eating. Okay. Same thing. Okay. Um, it actually helps them with like regain the nutrients that they Let's lose. Yeah. That's like a, that my it, mind I was know. like, what? It's hard for a lot of people yeah, to, to get, yeah. but at the same time, like when you think about it, we're eating the eggs. We're eating eggs from something else. Right. So just like we're eating or drinking milk from another animal, mm-hmm. like eggs just seem weird because of where they come out of, right? Right, right. <laughs> but it's actually better for them to have the eggs um, so that we would collect them all. And another job, what was a couple other jobs? Oh, 
in um, the quarantine area of the small animal hospital, there was a baby calf, and his name was Falco. He was about seven months old from the time I was there. He's huge now because cows grow super fast. Right. It's the point of, like, cow's milk yep. is that they grow super fast in a short amount of time. So Falco was about seven months old, and he was sick at the time that I was there. Um, he was getting better, but he kind of was going up and down. So he was way too small to be let out with the other cows. How, how big would he be? Um, or how big was he supposed to be at seven months? And so he was probably like the height of a Great Dane. Okay. A large Great Dane, okay. but obviously a bit thicker. Right. Um, but he was just a bit smaller and like all of, most of the cows were a lot larger and he wasn't, couldn't like defend himself. Right, so he up. stayed in yeah. the quarantine, which meant that at the end of our shifts, um, I would go and snuggle with him. So I literally would lay with a cow and like, it is one of the coolest things ever. And he, I have blonde hair, so it looks like straw or hay. Oh my and he would like try to eat my oh hair. My he would actually like lick my face and he would be laying down and I'd like pet him and cuddle with him. And like, he was really sweet. And, and he, I actually planned to get a tattoo of him on my arm because Aww. he just was one of those animals that kind of left an imprint on me. Yeah. And uh, he's doing a lot better now. I guess he's out with the other animals because he's a lot bigger now okay. as a male cow they grow really big right um and he was amazing like everybody should meet a cow because they are one of the most gentle animals like i and you don't even recognize how big they are until you're right until you're right next to them because we were driving like we get to drive the cool farm trucks around the farm which was like super fun and uh we were driving this one big suburban and we'd have to bring it up to the barn and then grab some feed and the cows were standing next to it taller than the suburban like, what? they're like, you actually, when you meet a cow, you're yeah. like, you're a dinosaur. Yeah. Like, you never, you always see them, like, out in the field, and you're like, exactly. oh, yeah, they're big, but they're oh, so yeah. far away. You stand usually. next yeah. to them, and their back ends are like, you're like, this is insane. I have a selfie with one of the d- giant cows. Yeah. They are wonderful. They are so gentle. Like, they'll just come up to you. Most of the time, they're actually scared of you. What? You got to tell me the story. When your car wasn't working? Oh, yeah. And you, did you walk? Oh, that was the best story what? ever. What? I, asked- I was watching this going, this girl's insane. So It's so cold outside and it's dark. And what does something happen? That is really funny. Okay, that's a good story. So I loved sharing my experience on Instagram yeah. basically for this moment because people really were impacted by what I was sharing. And not as many people are going to be able to experience what I did. Like mm-hmm. I took two months out of my life. Like yeah. I went to the farm. It was one of the best experiences. So I wanted to share it. So one day... It was a Friday night. We got, like, it was completely no snow, nothing. But we're like, oh, we're getting a winter storm. So, like, be prepared. So we were at one intern house called Vegan House, which is just up the street Mm -hmm. with the other interns. And we go out to my car to drive back, and it's, like, covered in ice. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Tomorrow's not going to be fun. So we get back to our house, and I wake up at, like, 6 in the morning. I go to – we were watching one of the intern coordinator's dog, which was pretty cool at our house. And I went to open the door. I couldn't open my door. We had gotten, like, 8 inches or 10 inches of snow overnight, and I couldn't drive my car because they had to plow the road. Like, I was not getting – I have a cobalt little car. There's no way it's getting out of the driveway. So I was like, okay, I want to make it. Like, I know someone's probably going to come pick me up, but I don't want to bug them. I'm like, I'm going to (laughs) walk. So fortunately, when it snows so much, it's actually warm, right? It's not like freezing. Oh, outside. Yeah, it's outside. Um, Obviously, the snow is cold, but it wasn't like it wasn't one of those like negative 18 days. Like it was actually pretty warm. And I was like, all right, I'm going to walk. (laughs) So I put all my stuff on. I got my bag. And lucky for me, it was up from my house was at the base of a hill. So I had to walk up a hill. And then I had to go down the street again and walk up another hill to get to the small animal hospital. And mind you, it was only a kilometer. Like, it's not that long. 
when you're driving there. Yeah, the when walk you're there. <laughs> and if you're walking like without snow, it's a nice walk. Yeah. I was walking in like Uphill. no plowed. Oh so this is the funny part is it really gives meaning to when your parents are like I used to walk uphill oh, yeah. both ways in the snow to school and back. I'm literally walking up there thinking that. Thinking that yeah. So I'm like Instagram storying my my thing. And the funny, I was so, I was not smart because I was like, I'm going to try to run, see if I can get there faster. So I run up the hill literally for like 10 seconds. I stop. I'm like, that was the worst idea ever because yeah. I was sweating now and it's cold, right? And it's windy. And then I was like, oh, this is so bad. But I got there. And then they're like, we could have came and picked you up. And I was like, no, this was, I wanted to walk there because I wanted to say that I did. And I wanted to say it on a podcast that I did. No, <laughs> no, I just, I was kind of really like cool to know, like I was going to do anything to get to the yeah. farm. Yeah. And it also gave me a good taste of like, if I have a sanctuary, this is what's going to, this is going to be yeah, my everyday. Possibilities, yeah. yeah. So it was like really rewarding to get there. And it's funny, as I'm telling you all this, I'm literally envisioning the whole entire farm, the experience, it's everything. Like it's, it's always there with me. Yeah. And sometimes I'll get flashbacks of my, my time there. And I met some really incredible people that are now some of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was amazing. And I'm happy now that I'm back in Windsor that I'm actually able to put the skills that I learned yeah. um, to use in Windsor. Yeah, so and doing it locally. Mm-hmm. And you also have your own rescue at home. Yes, I do. So <laughs> Megan traveled in a van for some time, which I'll let her tell you about. But I want you to talk about your own rescue. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other story. That is, that's, a, you know, that's not in the snow. Mm-hmm. That's a different, that's yeah. not on a farm. <laughs> what? I just can't even imagine, like, as an empath, mm-hmm. seeing Sunny mm-hmm. and bring. I know you brought. I'll let you tell the story. Yeah. I don't know why okay. I'm trying to tell the story. You tell so, the story. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles, and leading up to that, my boyfriend and I traveled in a van. It's a 1997 Ford line. Like, it's really cool. It's got a bed in it. So it's like one of those conversion vans. And mm-hmm. we traveled. We were, it was about May. So we were already been like three months into our trip we had already went all the way east and then drove all the way west and we stayed in LA so we were in our third week of being in LA and we actually had just went to this really cool like vegan burger place called Lord of the Fries yeah that's what it's <laughs> what called a great name. and they had like it, I was psyched I got like a vegan burger a chocolate milkshake and then these animal fries that they make at like In-N-Out Burger that I can't have so okay. it's like french fries it's like this special sauce on the top caramelized onions and then it's like epic so I was dead after eating that um and then we went to where like Fast and the Furious was filmed so we saw that classic and um it's funny because we were walking down the street and my boyfriend Ricky spotted someone that he follows on Instagram and who I just previously messaged he's a bartender and was like they already had planned to meet up at some point but they never had like created a date and he's like I know that guy and I'm like what he's like I followed him on Instagram telling me who he was he's like I'm gonna go see if it's him and I'm like, oh, my God, like, don't. That's weird. So we walk over there, and I, like, turned my back, like, walked down the street a little bit and ended up being him. So they, we actually spent, like, three hours with him, getting a drink, talking about bartending, which was really cool. So then I tell that story because we end up leaving, and we find another thing, another animal, like, this other thing on the street. Um, we're driving down this industrial road um, going one way, and this dog's walking on the opposite side of the sidewalk. So what happened was, is we're driving and there's this big like semi truck trailer. So uh, to me, I think it was like fate that we met him because if Ricky would have been going any faster and Sunny walking any slower, like we would not have seen him because of the truck. So immediately I see this dog walking down the street and I'm like, I always stop for dogs most of the time. And it was probably not the smartest thing like in LA, like you never know what's Mm going to happen. And I'm in a van. It's not like I have a house to bring him to. So 
like, Ricky, pull over. And he pulls over. I come around the back of the van, and he's across the street, and I'm like, hey. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and I was like, come here. And he actually ran across the street right to me. And every I, to me, like, I was like, I just thought that for some reason just thought that was going to happen. So when I tell people that he ran across the street yeah. to me, they're like, he actually came to you? Yeah. Like, dogs don't, you know, they don't right, do that. Yeah. And that, when I think about it now, I'm like, yeah, I know a lot of dogs that would have just took off, but yeah, he came right to me. So the funny thing is, is he was like, he was, like, humping me, biting me, like, trying to jump on me, like, not meanly or anything, but he was, like, he wasn't fixed or neutered right. when I found him. So I'm, like, we're in this industrial area. There's no houses around. Right. There was a person that was likely homeless that had a little area, so I thought maybe it was his dog. Mm-hmm. We walked around. We saw these people. We're like, do you know where this dog come from? And he's, like, never seen him before. It's like, okay. So he had a collar on him. It was this, like, leather big thick collar with little studs on it and it was like kind of chewed up at the end so he had a collar but he had no identification tag on him and I was like well we can't leave him Ricky like I have to take him so Mm -hmm. we get him in the car and I like coax him in with like part of my vegan burger which is really funny and we went to the dollar store and got a leash and some food for him and he was like he the thing is is like I've been around rescue animals like working at um, volunteering at the rescue in Michigan and like I've seen like really skinny dogs and he wasn't skinny so there was so much going through my head but I was like I have to bring him to the shelter or to um the vet to get scanned for a microchip and we couldn't go to the vet this was on a Sunday afternoon and for some reason I just thought the shelters would have been closed but you could bring them in at any time but I was like okay we'll bring him in on Monday which meant he was staying the night with us in the van yeah so when you're in a van and you're in LA you're kind of like stealth camping Right. Which means you kind of just pull up wherever and sleep. Yeah. And, like, there's – L.A. is, like, it's weird because it's very van-friendly, but it's also very not van-friendly. So okay. a lot of people live in their vans. There's a lot of homeless people that live in um, trailers and, like, everything on the sides of roads. Mm-hmm. But they're also, like, technically illegal and they don't like that. So okay. it's, like, if you're in a certain area, they allow it. But if you're in other areas, you're not. Okay. So How Ricky and I – where you can and cannot There's park. this really cool website online that's called freecampsites.net. Or there's a ton of camping or van life groups on Facebook. Right, okay. Basically, you're, like, where can I stay? And you put a location and then it pops up. So cool. we actually stayed in um, Manhattan Beach for the most of the time, the two weeks, which is a very, like, ritzy area. So when you're driving around in an old van, like – we're, we got pretty lucky, but we would literally just pull up like, I mean, I don't recommend this for everyone, but it's self camping and it worked for us. So we would pull up to a neighborhood like we're at nighttime, mm-hmm. just slide in usually away from the houses on the side of the road, sleep in the van and then get up in the morning and right. leave. And we never had any issues mm-hmm. until we did get called on once, but mm-hmm. that was it wasn't a big deal. So I was like, oh, he's going to blow our cover because like if he makes oh, any dog. noise, right? right? Yeah. He actually didn't make a sound, slept on the floor the whole night. Um... I let him up on the bed when we were driving, and he was all, like, crazy and excited. So we brought him to the shelter the next day, and got he what he didn't get he didn't have a microchip basically okay. so um, from my thinking I'm like you have a dog in Los Angeles that doesn't have a tag on it doesn't have ID on it do you really want your animal mm-hmm. so I was like we put he had to be on a five day stray hold just in case the owners came to claim him right. and I was like ah uh, I got I put first rights on him because I fell in love okay. with him what's first rights mean means that you have first rights to adopt when he goes up for adoption okay. so the funny thing behind this story is that my boyfriend had wanted a dog the whole trip. And I kept telling him no. I'm like, I have a dog at home. I love my dog. I love dogs. But I'm like, we don't know our situation. Like, you don't – it's a lot of responsibility. It's a huge commitment to get a dog. And I kept telling him, like, no, it's not the right time. Literally every city we went, I want a dog. I want a dog. So we get to L.A. And finally I'm like, okay, we'll go to a shelter. So we went to the shelter. And it was heartbreaking. It's 
tons of, almost all of them are pit bulls. You went to a shelter after, so you had... Before. Oh, before, sorry. Yeah, this okay. was, sorry, before we found yep. Sunny. Okay. This is the backstory to finding him. Okay. So we went to a shelter, and we, we saw this dog, and we thought we really liked him, and we waited an hour for them to take him out, and the dog didn't care for us. He just was like, whatever, and Ricky was heartbroken. He's like, okay, we're not getting a dog. So the morning that we found Sunny, we're actually walking around Echo Park in L.A., and this family, this mom and her kids were walking by us. And right when we walked by, she goes, you know, boys, it's a really big responsibility to own a dog. And I, like, smacked Ricky in the chest <laughs> and then, like, see, I told you. And we're like, we're not getting a dog. Yeah. Five hours later, we find Sunny. So I put him on the stray hold. Mm-hmm. Um, I put him up on, like, lost, found, lost and found pets on a site on, like, Facebook. I made it very easy for someone that actually wanted to find their dog right. because realistically – I would be calling a shelter every day. There's like seven shelters in the area. Mm-hmm. With my description of my dog, I would go see them yeah, all if you yeah. really wanted your dog. Right. I called Thursday night and he was still there. So we're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go back and get him. This was huge. Like I didn't tell my parents. <laughs> I did not because I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> like we don't know what we're doing when we get back because yeah. when we get back home, we were still living separately. So mm-hmm. like it was like, all right, but we were planning to get an apartment. Right. Yeah, so it was pretty crazy. And we go back and get him. We bring him to um, PetSmart. He got all his new stuff. And the, the thing was is that two, he's about two years old. Okay. We don't know his backstory. I don't know how people treated him before. I found him on the street. Um, he wasn't fixed at the time I found him. And being two years old, male, not fixed, there's a lot there. And uh, when we picked him up that day, they didn't fix him because he was, like, not feeling well. So they wouldn't fix him. So the first three days that we had him was hell. He was, like, biting, mouthing, humping, like, really not paying attention to us. Like, Mm -hmm. it was really tough. And, like, I get emotional every time I tell the story because not many people know this. But we actually returned him. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know. I did. And I told you I was going (laughs) to cry. Um, You're making me cry. (laughs) Okay, so I'm good. So we actually brought him back on the Monday because we're, like, I, I don't think he's going to be able to progress in the van. Like, if he's already behaving like this and we have a month and a half left of our trip, like, what if he gets worse? And we get back to Canada. I can't let him go to a shelter in Canada. So we brought him back, and it was so hard, and they were, like, really rude because, unfortunately, sorry if anyone from L.A. is listening, but the shelter staff in L.A. are not the friendliest. That's just from my experience. So we brought him back, and Ricky was the one that put him in the kennel. We left, and both of us just broke down cried for like the entire day we went to um venice beach walking around and we were like so depressed so i was so happy to get him and a couple people knew and then i had to tell them like i feel horrible immediately after we brought him back we knew we made the wrong choice and we're like well how do we get him back (laughs) so we were like okay i don't i didn't even know if they would allow us to reclaim the animal but i was like we ended up meeting a friend and we're like okay if we can't get him we're gonna get this friend to go get him But then I was like, I made Ricky call and ask if you could reclaim an animal. And they said yes. And we're like, okay, let's go back and get him. So we went back to the shelter. And um, they were giving us a bit of a hard time because our reason for bringing him back was the van. And mm-hmm. We're still in the van, which made total sense. I got it. But I'm like, no, we have to get him back. Yeah. So they kept telling me, like, he's aggressive. And I was like, he's not aggressive. He just doesn't know how to behave, yeah. right? So he, ha- he got fixed, which was great. This is just my Bob Barker message to spay and neuter your pets, friends. <laughs> but that's really, reference. really important. I know. And um, 
finally he got fixed, which was super important, and that helped to bring down his energy levels. And he was a lot better. We've the, definitely had our trying times. Yeah. Um, but from the rest of the trip, he was a lot better. So we get to the shelter, sorry, back to that, and they're like, you have to take him out of the kennel. We can't do it because he, like, growls at us or, like, we're afraid to go get him. And I'm like, I've seen way worse dogs before that I wouldn't even go near. He's yeah. not like that. So I had his leash and his collar that they mm-hmm. thankfully still had, and I walked right into the kennel. And I felt it was, I'm like, we needed to come back for him Mm -hmm. because like, I don't even know how many hours a day these or hours a week, these dogs get walked. There are so many dogs in LA that they just sit in their kennel for 24 hours, seven days a week. So especially if they're like, oh, he's aggressive. We don't want to go in. Exactly. Can you even imagine what would have happened if he had not gone back? Exactly. That's the, it's tough to think about, but it's so, I'm so happy we have him. Um, so I go to the kennel and he's right in the back of those guillotine doors, just laying there on one of the beds. And I was like, Hey buddy, he perks up and he actually comes right to us. I walk in, put his leash on and we walk out. And so that's that story. And, um, he got to go to Yosemite National Park. We went to San San Francisco and he has a picture in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. We went to the Redwoods. Um, we went to Eugene and Portland, uh, Seattle, and then back into Canada. And he got to go to Squamish, and then we drove across Canada. And he was a huge champ driving across Canada. So did he get? So he got fixed before you continued your trip? Yes, okay. in LA. Okay, so the sure. first okay. two weeks, um, actually, after we got him, a day later, I went off to Europe with my dad and my sister, <laughs> and Ricky got to spend two weeks with him in the van by himself, which was a fun experience apparently um but he got to experience so many things and I'll show people pictures of him like in Yosemite and they're like that dog has traveled more than I have (laughs) and I was like it was great and I almost like I love Windsor but when I was like sorry buddy like we got to go back to Windsor because like he's used to like hiking in like Oregon and like Yosemite and all these things and we brought him back but to going back to what you had said a couple of months ago like around August when we got home the LA's shelters were at max capacity, which meant they couldn't take any more in. It's, they're always like that. Yeah. However, they had a 300 animal hoarding case come through. So they were literally at capacity, which meant that more animals joined the red list, mm-hmm. which meant more animals were going to be euthanized. Yeah. And because Sonny um, was labeled as aggressive, he likely would not be alive right now if we didn't go back to get him. Yeah. So despite, I know, <laughs> despite all of the challenges that he has presented, like we're, we work a lot with training with him. We advocate for our dog. So mm-hmm. if he's, maybe he's not good with certain situations, I'm not going to put him in that situation. Right. Like if somebody wants to pet him and like be all up in his face, I'm like, no, like you yeah. can't do that. Yeah. He's not that kind of dog. Sonny right. is a treat toys, dog, people kind of person. That's yeah. how his hierarchy goes. Like people are like, eh. I don't know how you are, so, like, I'll just get a treat instead of, yeah. Yeah. Like, some dogs you walk up to and they're wagging their tails so excited to see you, and he's kind of just like, what's up? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know. You're not, you know, I don't know if I really like you or not. And that's okay. So the story of his name, Sunny, is that the three weeks that we were in L.A., surprisingly, you know, California, it's supposed to be sunny. It was, like, gloomy. It was gray. It was rainy the whole time we were there. It was actually nicer in Windsor in May (laughs) than it was in L.A. Like, they're telling me temperatures, and I'm like, I haven't even been able to swim. I put my toe in the ocean, and it was so cold that we couldn't even go to the beach. But mind you, it's, like, May, and it doesn't get too much warmer. And so the day that we had, we found him and the day we adopted him, the sun came out. So automatically, I'm like, we're naming him Sunny. And we had some other names in mind, but I was like, no, Sunny. Yeah, <laughs> that's his perfect. name. Yeah. So that was that's actually my second experience with a rescue. Um, my first one was a cat that okay. we rescued at home. And okay. she's my mom's cat now, though. Mm-hmm. Like, 
she doesn't even acknowledge the fact that I saved her life. <laughs> I picked her up off the street, and she's my mom's baby. Yeah, her name's Minnie. Windsor? In Amsburg. Oh, I actually found her in Amsburg. Okay. Yeah. But when cats are different, like dogs will love everyone. Cats usually bond with one person. Yeah. And my mom's her person because okay. she was always home. So I'll be home and I'm like, I saved your life, cat. <laughs> like, I love you, but you don't love me. But you don't even know. Yeah. So Sunny was like my real first dog rescue. Right. And it's a lot when you rescue a dog. Yeah. Like adopting a dog, rescuing a dog, it's a lot of work. And it's not – a lot of them get returned because people don't understand the commitment to it. And right. like, heck, I, I returned an animal. Yeah. I totally understand when people have to return an animal mm-hmm. but I, I had to go back to admit that because I know that's mm-hmm. that's hard for a lot of people mm-hmm. to admit but I also think it's Im- important for people to realize that there yeah. are struggles that go oh, along 100%. with that right because I am like I'd rescue a dog I want to take the dog <laughs> that has two broken legs and I have to you know revamp its life and, mm-hmm. and then you think about what that actually means to do that mm-hmm. and that is a serious commitment Oh, yeah. Sometimes, like, I've never actually told that story, like, openly. There's a few people that know it, and I've been wanting to, so I feel like this was a good platform to do that. Um, I, there are even days where I'm like, oh, I have him now, and he's, like, basically can only be with me and Ricky. Like, he's good with other people, but, like, for now, I can't, I don't have a dog babysitter besides my sister. And I'm like, some days I'm like, wow, like, now I'm really restricted. Mm-hmm. I can't go travel yeah. to these places because now I have a dog. Yeah. And it just, like, and I'm fine with that because at the end of the day that I know I, like, saved his life. Yeah. And that's a life over, like, my wanting to do something else. Right. But, like, when somebody really wants to rescue a dog, I'm all for it. But I think that you have to go rescue a dog that's going to fit your needs. Right. And I just read something about that today. Like, don't go – if you're, like – you like to stay home and chill and relax. Like, don't go get that dog that needs constant exercise. Right, don't go get a, get a little, yeah. yeah. Get a little pug or a little dog that will just hang out and chill and watch movies with you. And that's cool too. But look for the animal that's going to fit your needs. I've It's good hearing that mm-hmm. uh, you say that because um, I've wanted a dog for a long time. Everyone knows this. <laughs> um, but I've been looking at um, rescue sites and different places about, like, what kind of dog I want to get. And I feel guilty sometimes that I'm like, oh, I want this specific type of dog mm-hmm. because I'm a person that's like, I just, you know, you want, you, you have this like kind of um, idealized situation where you're going to go mm-hmm. and you're going to connect and you're going to find a dog that needs you. Yeah. But you, and it, like, and I'm glad you said that because I'm like, I feel guilty when I look and I'm like, oh, but this dog doesn't have any major mm-hmm. issues, but that might fit my go everywhere lifestyle yep. where I can help him adapt. And so I'm glad you said that. Because yeah. I, I have a, I have trouble with whenever I make that decision, Mm -hmm. making the right one, I'm, like, nervous about. Oh, that makes so much sense. And, like, definitely don't feel guilty about wanting to – you want a dog that's going to suit your needs so that, like, it doesn't go back. But it's a total difference than people are like, oh, I want this little Pomeranian. That's the only breed that I want. And they're so stuck on the breed. Whereas, like, you know, that quote that goes around, like, rescue is my favorite breed. Like. I yeah. don't even care. Like, you're, I'm not going to tell you what Sunny is. Right. Um, people can make their own assumptions on that. But mm-hmm. that wasn't, like, I will find an animal that loves me and I love it equally. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's it's a lot of times we, like, stereotype certain breeds or yeah. we want a certain breed because this is the way they're supposed to be. Right. But not all breeds fit our disposition of what we think they're going to be. Yeah. And that, a lot of times, leaves animals sitting in a shelter. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of breed-specific 
rescues out there. There right. are boxer rescues. There right. are husky rescues. There are rescues that work specifically with those breeds because they know that those animals are going to get adopted fast. So what happens is they will say, okay, there's a boxer in the Humane Society. We're going to take them out bring them into a foster-based rescue, that dog's going to get adopted in a week, right? Right. Whereas like those mixes and those mutts that are sitting at a shelter, yeah. unfortunately, they stay there for a long time because they're not as appealing. Right. So if you are like, I only want a boxer, go find a boxer rescue. Don't go buy a dog. Right. And the thing is, is like I have, we bought our dog five years ago, Bella, from someone who was breeding them. And it was, I don't regret it. I love her so much, but I will never buy a dog again because I yeah. know there's literally millions of dogs sitting in a shelter across North America. So yeah. how do you tell someone because I've had that experience mm-hmm. where I'm like you guys everyone should rescue and yeah. I and people are like then they get kind of irritated mm-hmm. with you for saying that because then you make them feel guilty yeah. kind of and I'm like well if you feel guilty maybe <laughs> there's a reason but I I always am curious like how do you approach a situation in like giving that advice mm-hmm. to someone well a lot of times people are like say they want puppies so that's why they want to buy from a breeder but the thing is is like there's puppies at shelters all the time they go the quickest mm-hmm. right But the thing is, is a lot of times that if you're not prepared for a dog, all of those puppies that people adopt from a breeder are the adult dogs that are in shelters. So that's the sad thing is that we're so concerned about getting a puppy, but Mm -hmm. they literally are the ones that are the three, two, three-year-olds that end up in a shelter and waiting for someone to get them because someone got them as a puppy and then couldn't take care of them. Right. And dogs are big responsibilities. And after having one, I've always been like, rescue, rescue, rescue. And then after having one, I'm like, oh, you should probably think about that first. Right. Do your research. Because when you get a dog and you bring it back to a shelter from experience, Mm -hmm. literally from experience, it is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And you're going to have to look that dog in the eye and say... I love you, but I have to put you here. And then it's going to sit in a shelter in a kennel all day. Like when we, when I first found Sunny and we brought him there for the stray hold, like it was mandatory, you have to do that. He lost five pounds in a week. He was 59 pounds of the day of the intake. And when we got him the first time, he was 52 pounds. Like if not even more, yeah, like seven pounds. And then I had to bring up his weight. He's finally at reaching his like max weight now, mm-hmm. I think. And it took us like five months in order yeah. to get him back into a good weight because he also exercises a lot. But in five days, he lost five pounds in a shelter because of stress. Wow. So a lot of those dogs deteriorate in a shelter, yeah. especially if they're not given a chance. And like I, the first shelter we went to, we met one uh, named Mr. Bill and he was 13 years old. 13 years old in a shelter and sometimes people's their owners pass away and the family can't take care of them so there are those older dogs that end up there but definitely like if you want one of those relaxed laid-back dogs that just want to sleep for 20 hours a day go rescue an elder or a senior dog because that's going to be the dog that's just super chill you can bring them anywhere Mm -hmm. you know if you only like to go for five ten minute walks a day that dog's going to be your best friend probably you could even put him in a wagon and go for a walk (laughs) (laughs) don't go get the two-year-old that's like super hyper and needs to go for three-hour walks Today, right. so well especially someone with experience mm-hmm. in this what would you say to someone that is like well I don't want to rescue you never know like mm-hmm. what they experienced before so I'm not what if you know I'm not going to put that experience mm-hmm. in my hands so I was really nervous about that and for the first couple of months that's all I could think about was like oh he's doing this because of what happened in his past this is that and that and like I'm so concerned about what if I do this and this triggers something mm-hmm. the trainers that I've been talking to and it's actually all been Instagram the people that have been helping me I've been training Sunny all on our own like we haven't went to a trainer because I don't think he'll respond well to someone else so I want to be the one training him Mm -hmm. they've all told me you have to not like the, the moment you get that dog that is his life moving forward you have to really because you're the only one holding that dog back dogs are so in the moment they're so like oh you gave me a treat you're my best friend oh like you're punishing me 
an hour later, they're not going to remember that you got mad at them or right. you told them to go to their crate because they were misbehaving. Mm-hmm. Dogs are so like they do remember like they remember people. They remember other dogs. They remember like feelings. Right. But they're not going to remember like those little instance things that happen. Mm-hmm. So two years of his life. Yeah, he had, he was. He was formed in a certain way, but that doesn't mean we can't help him become a better dog. Yeah. And um, you just have to, like, let go of the past and just move forward and go into training the moment your dog comes home, mm-hmm. train your dog. Because yeah. a lot of people think they're going to take a dog home and all they're going to do everything they want. Like, Sonny only knew how to sit when we got him. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, like, someone taught him how to sit. <laughs> um, but I've taught him how to, like, lay down. He stays in, on a command. He's not the greatest yet but we're working on it um but it's it's constant work like that's what I'm learning like we walk him probably an hour or more a day it's like 30 minute sessions twice a day for training and like if I want him to be a travel dog with us like I have to put in the effort right and you can't just like expect your dog to be like incredible just like kids right you have a child and you're raising it like you have to put in the work to raising your kid teaching Mm -hmm. them things it's just like a dog at any stage of their life right Awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to move. We've talked so much about animals. We I could know. probably talk for four <laughs> hours about animals. Um, but in relation mm-hmm. to that, what is like what how did that start? What was the motivation? How did you get into volunteering? Yeah, I'm like a huge advocate for volunteering. You know, like one of my topics that I wrote on the forum was like I want to talk about volunteering because I talk about volunteering all the time. And um I don't know where it started. Like in high school, I was on student council. Mm-hmm. I was like on the sports team. So naturally, like we're um, encouraged to volunteer for certain things. I feel like being in sports really was what kind of um, advocated for volunteerism, which is really cool because as a team, you do a lot of like events and like fundraisers okay. and stuff. And my mom was always like a giving person. She volunteered her time in like the soup kitchen at school and stuff like that. So I don't remember like the moment that I was like, yay, volunteering, but it was like always part of my life, mm-hmm. even though it was kind of in the background. But it's actually when I really got started in volunteering was after university. So I was a long distance runner for 10 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And on my fourth year of university, I decided to stop running for a little while. And like when you're competing, like it consumes your life. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to school running and like little time of work. But it was that was like running was my job at school because I got a scholarship. right? Right. So all of my time was consumed in training in school. So like outside things were non-existent because I didn't have time for them. So I had originally been going to like break from running. um, But I was like, then I just kind of accumulated and it's been three and a half years since I've actually like run consistently. Mm -hmm. And somehow it was like merged into volunteering. So in May of 2015, I was accepted to attend this conference called Activate by this national organization called Motivate Canada. Mm-hmm. There was 50 youth from across Canada that were selected, and I happened to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to be like, wow, like 50 Canadians like yeah. going to this conference. So um, I raised some money to go. It was really cool because it was only $500 to go to Ottawa for your plane ticket, for your accommodations, food, and everything. Mm-hmm. So what happened was this event was a five-day conference run by youth. Motivate Canada is all about um, YDD, which is youth-driven development. So the people that were teaching me the workshops were people younger than me, older than me, my age. And I was fascinated. So there was staff there that were the support system, but their whole thing was giving youth the power to make the change. Mm -hmm. And originally Motivate was a lot about sports. And so that's how I came into it. So sport for social change, because I think sport has a really important – like it, it can do a lot of good in, in the world, especially with building self-esteem and confidence and physical activity, obviously. Yeah. Um, but at the end of this conference, our goal was to go home and create an Activate in Action project. 
And it took me a while to kind of figure out what I was going to do. But I was um, at Border City Boxing Club on Drewlard for a little while because my boyfriend's a boxer. Okay. And I had started to notice that there was a lot of kids coming to the classes for adults, right? And you have like a 200-pound guy and like a little shrimp kid yeah, walking around the gym. Slash, yeah. And you're like, year, oh. so I'm like, okay, yeah. there's something wrong here. Like it it's great that they're both here, mm-hmm. but like this is this could potentially be hazardous like if one runs into the other mm-hmm. and it's just not fun for either one of them. So I was like, okay, I see a need. I need to come up with a project. I have I can get grants, but I also have a gym so I didn't have to pay for space to do this project. Okay. And I was like, I'm creating a kids program. So I started this kids program and originally it was a 6-week program for youth um, between the ages of like six and 13 or something and like 25 kids came to the first six weeks and um then I I kept it going and it was like five dollars a class or ten dollars a week or something and I ran it for a year and a half oh my god and we had probably over 100 kids in the program and the cool part is is I left um last February and the program's still going on so that's amazing yeah it was pretty great I actually had this really cool video that was made when Windsor 180 videos came out on my boxing program and like it was really really fun but that was like motivate I give a lot of credit to being like that catalyst for Mm -hmm. making change Mm -hmm. and it really showed me that I have the potential to make a difference in my community I have to just do it and you have to I saw a need I saw like my passion at the time for boxing and then I was able to just kind of move my way in and start the program and everybody was really supportive we did um a -a box-a-thon and raised like four thousand dollars we did so many things at the club and I left because it was time for me to move on so the way that I I am is like things up into about two years I'll be doing something and I'm like okay, it's time to move on. Time to switch something. And the great yep. thing is, is um, that means that it opens up a position for someone else mm-hmm. to take over and, and experience what I did. And the fact that the boxing program is still running to this day, to me, gives me a lot of, um, like, it gives me a lot of happiness because I know I started something sustainable and that's mm-hmm. what matters. Like, if the program would have stopped when I left, yeah. it would have been like, well, what, what what did I really do there? But now that but it's still, still going. you still impacted so many lives yeah. even at that, right? Oh, yeah. Like- I had um, actually one mom come up to me. Multiple people had told me how great the program was, but mm-hmm. her son was um, – he had a little bit of anger issues, like a little bit um, too – like hyperactive in a way, like whatever terminology people use. Like she had a – he was labeled as something which is – labels are not always the best. But yeah. she was talking to me about it and it was okay. They were accepting of it. And she told me that like boxing had actually like really helped him a lot. And he was – ironically – he was the one that I didn't think really cared about the program. Like, he didn't really listen to me. He'd go off and do his own thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd get frustrated really easily at boxing. But yeah. he had could take out his anger, like, with punching right. or something, an right? And when she told me that he was actually so impacted by the program, like, I probably cried <laughs> in front of her. But I was like, you never really know who you are impacting in a positive mm-hmm. way. Because sometimes the people that are changing the most because of it are, don't really show you that they are. Right. Like, I had other kids that would come all the time. That were getting better in boxing, but boxing was actually not the reason for the program. Right. It was just a way to get kids physically active in a non-traditional sport. Mm-hmm. And then we did other activities too. So it was really, really empowering. And then after that, it kind of just stemmed from there, all the other volunteering that I do. And like I volunteer at the farm. I volunteer for like other organizations. Um, but that was like the big thing. And I still vo- actually volunteer for Motivate. So shortly after I went to the conference, I was invited back to be a volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I would help run those conferences across the province. Yep have one in January right yes I was telling you about that so I did um five of them across the province um originally I was only supposed to do two and then they were like Meg Meg come on we need more people for this one so 
I did one in Leamington was our first one, which is no really cool. Way. Yeah, it was February of 2016. And one of the girls that attended as a delegate is now a volunteer, Brianne awesome. McPherson. Shout out to her. She oh, runs a Thrive yes. uh, Kids program. So she was my person I mentored. And now to see her in a cool position as a volunteer is like really rewarding. And so we were just in Halifax two weekends ago doing the VIA Youth um, conference, okay. which is motivates new conference for youth between the ages of 18 and 30. And she was volunteering right next to me. So it was really neat. And then going back to the regional ones, I did one in Leamington. I did one in Atacokan, which is two hours north of Thunder Bay for Indigenous youth from the communities in the Nan population of Northern Ontario. So okay. they would fly down to there incredible experience. I learned so much about our Indigenous culture and the um, struggles that they go through that are very different from a person growing up in Amherstburg or Southern Canada, like completely different. And then we did one in Toronto, St. Catharines, and then Timmins. So the cool thing about the one in Timmins is um, a delegate who attended in 2015 with me wanted to start up a boxing program in her community, which was in, um, what was it, Kakeshwan, I think or one of the reserves in the James Bay area, uh, Fort Albany, I think. And they didn't have any supplies, and those communities are fly-in only. You fly in from Timmins, and that's the only way you can access them. So they didn't have any supplies. So I was like, well, what can I do at a boxing gym down here? So we actually raised a bunch of money. a tattoo artist in Windsor, Sean Marat, donated a $500 tattoo. Wow. And I was able to raise most of my money through that as a wow. raffle prize. And we bought, like, I actually went up with, like, a huge hockey bag or a big bag of um, extra shoes that people had donated, a whole bunch of new um, wraps for your hands for boxing, a bunch of gloves. And I was able to give that to her there. Mm-hmm. And she brought it up to her community. And they, she started a little boxing program up there. So that was really neat. Um, but working with the Indigenous youth, is like really empowering because you get to watch them experience the event themselves, like never really being able to go to one of these things. Right. Watching them connect with the youth and the communities surrounding them and helping. How how do we figure out solutions? Like the youth want to make a difference, but oftentimes they're not given the – they're not passed the baton. They're not asked questions. They're not given the resources. So. When you sit down with all of them, and I'm a youth myself, like 25, that can still is elite, like that definition of youth they say is like 18, 16 to 30 ish. Okay. Um, and like knowing that all these other people want to make a difference too, and seeing them actually go back mm-hmm. into the communities and do something about it is like really cool to be a part of. Yeah. So, my like kind of mindset is that I can't change the world. Like I, I can't as one person. There are things I can do that can make a difference, but I'm not going to be the one person that makes all of the things go away. Yeah. But I have this motto that says that I can inspire five people. So inspire five because each person that I inspire of those five is going to go out and inspire five people. Mm-hmm. So imagine that I, that catalyst for me inspiring five people turns into 25, turns into blah 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 I'm not good at math so even (laughs) though it's fives and it's my I can do my times tables I'm not gonna go that far um but if you think about it one person can make a very big difference Mm -hmm. because you catalyzed change in five people who then went out and did the same thing for other people and everyone is just waiting for that one person to tell them that they believe in them and then they go out and do something Mm -hmm. really great so even if you don't if you think that you're like oh there's too many issues in the world like I can't do anything start something small and just have conversations with people because you never yeah. know what you're going to spark in them. Yeah. Like I- <laughs> and I can speak from very obvious experience that Megan was a catalyst <laughs> for me to uh, become a Bangs ambassador, mm-hmm. to become a Keep, it ne- Keep Nature Wild yeah. ambassador, to open an Instagram page that was um, 
focused around um, sending positive messages mm-hmm. to other people, which bleeds into doing this podcast. So there I can speak very highly <laughs> of just the conversations that we had because me and mm-hmm. Megan didn't meet for yeah. a year and a half. <laughs> we only knew each other over Instagram and it's it's simply in conversations mm-hmm. and literally some believing you saying you should apply for this ambassador I think you'd be a good fit you go oh really (laughs) okay and it is it's that like one spark and that one conversation that like has unfolded into so many other things so I think that's that's huge um and I think another thing that you mentioned is you know we often um say to people like oh go make a change or you can do this and blah 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 but they don't necessarily know how Mm -hmm. um what tools to use or how to gather resources and something for example like Sean, I'm not going to pronounce his last name, Mara, yeah. that, that um, giving you a tattoo mm-hmm. um, t- t- kind of help you raise funds. Like just give people kind of like a little tip on, do you just reach out to people? Mm-hmm. What is an appropriate way to contact someone? Like how do you have those conversations that say, you know, I'm trying to raise funds for this. Could you help me? Is there kind of um, a certain way to go around that? Or do you just kind of throw your emails <laughs> out to everyone? Um so I find that I'm, like, not afraid to ask people for help now. Uh, and I I don't think I ever was. But I'll just kind of – Facebook has been a really big tool. Like, I love social media because it's helped me – I mean, I've met Sierra. i met so many people. <laughs> um, but if I have – like, if I'm doing a fundraiser, I'll be like – I just put it out there, say I'm doing this. Uh, would anybody like to donate? And usually people will come right away. A lot of local businesses in Windsor are very generous in what they donate. And it's a mutual benefit for them because you're helping to promote them, which right. I see as a great thing. Um, I just had a potluck this past week and I did a costume contest for Halloween and I was just like would any businesses like to donate um, a gift certificate and like I had a ton and I didn't even ask anyone like personally I just put it out there and people were like yes and for me it's like I have a good network of people but I'm also just a nice person Mm -hmm. like to be honest I think that has a lot to do with it being like a genuinely kind person and I, I can proudly say that I believe that I am and just being like a good force like if someone's having a conversation with me I'm, I'm engaged with them I want to listen yeah. to them and people know that so they want to reciprocate that um feelings that they I have given them yeah and they're going to help you people want to help a lot of times there are like Motivate Canada will say there are people that do make a lot of money if, if it's a monetary thing that you need that are just waiting for someone to ask they yeah. just want to make a donation somewhere because yep. they they just don't know where mm-hmm. so find someone that resonates with your message that you're having and reach out to them yeah. and if they say no then they might have someone else that can that you can ask or it just gave you the experience in asking them so whether that is emailing people putting it out on facebook asking your connections having a network like networking is one of the most um, important things that I have found and not like social or or like not formal networks you don't have to go to a networking group you don't always have to go to events it's just like connecting with one person because Mm -hmm. then eventually they're going to have someone that that may be able to help you or you may be able to help the person that they know yeah and if they know you for a certain thing like I am a wellness advocate for doTERRA so I love essential oils so people are like hey, I have a friend that needs this and something about essential oils. Can I message, can they message you? I'm like, sure. So they just know that I'm the essential oil girl Mm -hmm. (laughs) or the animal person or the vegan girl so that they'll message me because someone they know is looking for something. So just keeping positive connections um, and just getting out there and doing it. Like my biggest piece of advice is just do it. Like just as Nike says, Um, because the more I've, I've, um, definitely been a culprit of like holding myself back and worrying about being like this being perfect like my my podcast like I've been wanting to start a podcast for a long time Mm -hmm. I just I don't know how to do this I don't know how to do that but I haven't actually started to try 
website. I've had a website for a long time and I just let it sit there for a while. Just this past week, I started working on it. Um, I switched it over. It's called the sweet life of being vegan.com. It actually looks great. And I was so worried of not being able to know how to use a, make a website. Mm -hmm. And I sent it to my friend and she's like, this looks really nice. And I was like, I know I'm pretty proud of it. But honestly, it's just about like, just go out there and do what you want to do. And like, I have always found like planning is important, but planning is a process, right? Mm -hmm. So it will come as you go and things will change. And the more that you're willing to be flexible, the more something's going to evolve. Like my boxing program, I probably planned for like two weeks before I actually did it. I had a loose plan. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And then I worked with the kids to create the program mostly. Like if I try to plan everything out, then if things don't go my way, then you get frustrated and you get stuck. So just go out there and start doing something. And once you start it, like when you start picking up garbage for what I was doing on Instagram, other people message me telling me they're picking up garbage. Mm -hmm. It's just catalyzing things. So you start something is going to... like spark a fire in someone else or something else and people all want to work together and they're all most people are for the greater good so you're going to find that niche of people that want to help you and even if they don't there's lots of places you can get grants Mm -hmm. um you just have to look for them or find someone that's good at grant writing or just do a fundraiser yourself Mm -hmm. um and a lot of times things like this don't need a lot of money you can start a walking club get a group of people together to go walking like if you're really um interested in health and physical activity and mental health walking get a group of people to get outside get in nature go for a walk and socialize with other people boom you just started something cool and you probably helped someone that day so it can be very simple you don't have to do this grand crazy like you don't need a website you don't need a podcast you don't need all this cool stuff right that can come just start small and just start within yourself because if you don't believe that you can do something Mm -hmm. you're not going to do it Mm -hmm. so like my analogy is when I used to be a distance runner and I sit on the line before a 3,000 meter race and I was super nervous like hella nervous I'd always be shaking or nervous but the nerves was good but if I sit on the line and was like I'm gonna lose what what was the point of even starting the race because I literally had already lost the moment before the gun went off Mm -hmm. you have to just stand on the line and think like I can do this I'm gonna win because what's the point of racing if you don't think you're gonna win right right what's the point of doing anything if you don't think you're gonna do it Mm -hmm. because even if I didn't I would probably have worked my best tried my hardest and had a good goal or by the time I finish I realize what I did wrong And then I can work with that. But I like to like go back to my running and it's weird how things kind of come full circle. Mm -hmm. It's just always been like that, how things are very in relation to the things I used to do um, and kind of coming back into my life now. So it's really neat the way things work out and just trust yourself and believe in yourself. And if you don't have a group of people in your life that are supportive of you, you'll find them. them. You will find them in things you're passionate about. I didn't have a lot of close friends in high school. I didn't even have a lot of close friends in university, which people never believe me now because I'm such like an outgoing and social person. Mm-hmm. Until I started doing things that I was truly passionate about, I started interacting and finding my best friends in right. those areas. Yep. And now like I would I would do anything for these friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that I found them. But I wouldn't have found them if I didn't put myself out there. So yeah. if you're scared to do that, just take one step today and another step tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, that's a perfect, that's a perfect um, analogy is like, the race the racing mm-hmm. just like if you don't believe you can like what is the point mm-hmm. uh, and on the flip side of that is something that I have found is like I used to put a lot of pressure on myself to always win mm-hmm. so I've always now navigate the things that I do as like just try one thing today like this podcast didn't happen overnight mm-hmm. I researched for probably six months on what type of micro I don't know audio <laughs> gear and I have a very because I went did film stuff I have a very limited knowledge in audio because it wasn't interesting to me at the time um so you 
do your research. That was one thing. And it took me six months to decide what microphones to buy. And then I had to go buy this because I ended up on buying the wrong microphones <laughs> because I couldn't plug them both into my computer. So then I had to find another piece of equipment. Mm. So it is, but it's just trying like that one thing. But I knew I would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. It was just, it does some things take time. Mm-hmm. But another thing is that we need to utilize the tools mm-hmm. that are in our lives and utilize the people around us to make those things possible. So who would you say is someone that inspires you? Because I know you inspire so mm-hmm. many people. Who is someone that really um, motivates you to continue doing the things that you do? It's such a tough question because there's always so many people mm-hmm. like that in have in different areas. Yep. And I can't actually pinpoint like a particular person. Mm-hmm. But it's this question has been coming up a lot lately because of like the events I've been attending Mm -hmm. and you know who inspires you the most and when I really think about it it would probably be my grandpa so and unfortunately he passed away 13 15 years I don't even remember I was so young so I was only like 10 or 11 when my papa passed away and so I didn't really know him like know him because I was only 10 you don't know so much about someone when you're 10 right but you just know how they make you feel the things that you do with them And he was always there for us, and he was always the one making us, like, peanut butter and jam sandwiches. We had a scary, invisible man in his house called Joe Blow. Like, he just was, like, the funniest person and such a good person. And the reason I feel like I'm so inspired by him now is because of the stories that I've learned about him. And I always feel like he's there. Like, I always have a feeling that he's with me no matter what. Mm -hmm. And when I used to work at the ice cream store in Amherstburg, if anybody's been there, if you live in Essex County, you've been there. (laughs) It was weird because, like, I don't – particularly call myself like a religious person even though I have a family that's very religious I'd say spiritual and I feel things right I'd always feel him there with me like when I was working there by myself it would be like oh my grandpa's here or something or like an older man would walk in and I would see him first and then it wouldn't be him right it would be someone else but it would look like him so it's weird because like he's always been around and even though he passed away so long ago like Mm -hmm. almost every day he comes up in some way so I feel like in an indirect way, but also kind of a direct way. He's had an influence on my life in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have um, a tattoo of two butterflies on my back for him. So I have two monarch butterflies, which is like, you know, typical butterflies for a girl tattoo, (laughs) which is so cool. But he has a deeper meaning for me. So when he, when he, when we had his funeral um, and we were at the cemetery, a butterfly, monarch butterfly was coming around and floating around all of us. And everybody noticed it. Like, it was just something, like, we noticed. And at every family gathering shortly afterwards, there would always be a monarch butterfly. And it's not always consistent now because it's been so long. But we always used to say that's our papa. Mm -hmm. So every time I see a monarch now, and I hope they'll always be around, especially for that reason, Mm -hmm. I'm always like, that's my grandpa. And everyone knows that. So when people see a monarch, they're like, that's my papa. (gasps) So I got two on my back because he's always got my back. And um It was hard because, like, when I was traveling, I didn't see a lot of monarch butterflies. And then all of a sudden, I'd see a ton. And it's just, like, it's weird. They come when you need them most. It's, like, your sign. It's, like, that thing that people see and you're, like, okay, I'm on the right track. Like, I find when I'm having a tough day and I see a monarch butterfly, Mm -hmm. it just turns my whole day around. So he's definitely shaped, like, me in the last couple years of my life. Well, the last whole most of the half of my life since Mm -hmm. he's been gone. Um in a way that like I never thought he did until I really started thinking about it in the last couple years so how do you want to be remembered Hmm. it's a it's a a good question um and I think it's not necessarily that I want to be remembered for what I did and like most people will say like I want to remember be remembered for how I made people feel Mm -hmm. um as much as I'd love to have like 
this awesome podcast and be like a celebrity or a famous person because you know when you're you you can reach a lot of people you impact more people mm-hmm. but in reality like all I know is that if I if people thought about me and they knew that like I was a good person and I made them happy or I did something for them mm-hmm. like that's how I want them to remember me yeah. whether it's like a simple life that I live or it's a grand life that I live Either way, like, I just want someone to say when they remember my name that, like, I did good in the world and I had an impact on them. Mm -hmm. So that's how I want to be remembered, that I made a difference in their life. What is one thing that someone who's listening right now, what is one thing that someone can do today that you would give advice for them to do today? Okay, so mine, we didn't even get into this topic, so I will definitely have to come back because it's really (laughs) big and important to me, but is look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're beautiful. Because we often take for granted the fact that we are alive, that we have so many things going on for us that are good. and But we like look in the mirror and we always look at ourselves, not all the time, but a lot of people will look and say like, they'll be displeased with the way that they look. And when you're displeased with the way that you look, you won't feel good about yourself. And I have a really big like idea that if you feel good, then you'll do good. And it's hard to like look at yourself in the mirror and, and see something that other people don't even see. Because it really brings down your whole aura and your whole energy and all of your feelings. So uh, write a note. I'm really big on affirmations. So I have a like a card in my um, piece of paper in my bathroom that says, I'm going to, I can't remember it exactly, but it's like, I am strong. I am powerful. I am beautiful. So I just would say, take a sticky note and write on it, I am beautiful, and put it in a mirror in your house. Because every time you look at it, you're naturally going to read it. Mm-hmm. I guarantee when you look at a word, you don't just see the word or the phrase. You, you will actually like subconsciously read it. So when you subconsciously read something that's positive, you're affirming what you're reading into your mind and your body. So every morning, if you look in the mirror and you see that, you're, that's the first thing you're going to see as opposed to other thoughts that you're going to have. Right. And I guarantee, like, you know, being beautiful on the outside a lot of times can be superficial to most people, but it's not really about that. It's about how you feel about yourself. And, like, if you know that you are a great person and you're beautiful and you're so many things, like, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, but you have to believe it because you can't do anything else in your life if you don't really love yourself. And I learned that the hard way. And we'll have to talk about that again. I know. Um, so, yeah, do that. It's really easy. Um, most people have a stick, you know, and a pen. Write that. Put it on your wall. It'll probably fall off, so put a little bit of tape on it. Put it on a mirror so that you're looking at yourself while you're reading it. And the cool thing is, is whoever's visiting your house and uses the washroom or looks in the mirror, they're going to read that too. So you're helping them at the same time. I started that at my house when my mom was going through some things with her skin as well and having experience with that. I was like, okay, I'm putting this here because not only me, not not only was I going to benefit from it, from other people were. So like my aunt would come over and like someone would write like, so are you or thank you or like it does help other people Mm -hmm. so do that because it's just the first step in anything is really believing and loving yourself because if you don't then what everything else you do in the world doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. because it's all about how you feel in your own self Mm -hmm. and if you can't accept yourself then you're not going to be able to accept others and other people aren't going to be able to accept you if you can't accept yourself it's a whole nother topic we can discuss for sure but I really appreciate you for having me on here um I'm pretty excited that I wasn't like I actually could put my words out there uh, for anyone that would be afraid to get on a podcast. It's actually not as hard as you think it is. <laughs> like my words Come kind of just me. flowed to, through and I didn't hesitate too much. But naturally, like I'll have to tell people like 
if we're going to get into a conversation, I'm like, I have to leave now because I'm going to talk forever. So <laughs> I know you I'm a talker. Somewhere. That's yeah. why I was like, I honestly, yeah. I could just keep you and we could just do this. I also want people to get the message without like listening for too long. Yeah. So, yeah. but um, I appreciate this and yeah. I'm really excited about it. So thank you. No, thank you so much for coming on here. Obviously you'll be back, <laughs> but this has been obviously a, a, a guest that I've been waiting for for mm-hmm. a long time, but it's really cool to have you here. Everyone needs to go put a sticky note on their mirror. <laughs> I challenge you to do that right now and just tell people where they can follow you and follow your pages and stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, on Instagram, it's just Megan Marie. Uh, I'm sure Sierra will put it in the show notes because I spelled my name the long way, Megan. Um, on Facebook, you can add me on Facebook. It's just Megan Marie Martin. Or you can follow my page, um, The Sweet Life of Being Vegan. Or follow my website as well because uh, if you like pictures of animals and cute little things and re- food recipes and stuff like that, um, definitely give me a follow. And I would be happy to connect with you. If you have any questions, send me a message on Instagram because I'd be happy to chat. Awesome. We did it. Yay. We nailed it. I kind of just feel a little bit high on life right now, guys. I I don't even know what to say because sitting and talking with Megan was just fantastic. And we only covered like a few things that I had on my long list of questions. So I guarantee you she will be back. But please go check out her stuff. I can't. I'm, I'm just speechless, guys. You all rock. Thank you for listening. <laughs>